0: And I'm a big fan and just going like, nah, I'll do it myself. We don't need a studio and we don't need to be greenlit. We get all of our friends who want to make films and like-minded people. And it's just a beautiful thing not to stick it to Hollywood or to stick it. It's just a way, all we want to do is get it out of our system. So if you make it with a studio system, awesome. If you make it independently with your mom booming and your brother booming, awesome. If you make it and put it on YouTube, awesome.
1: My name is West Gibbons and welcome back the tungsten originals podcast you just heard part of my conversation with writer and director justin robinson we discussed his documentary my brother jordan and why the film took eight years to make its non-traditional distribution which led to over 15 million views on youtube and why channeling grief is such an honest form of storytelling now sit back relax and enjoy episode 69 of the Tungsten Originals podcast, Justin, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
0: Thanks, man. I'm okay, man. Every yeah. spring, I gain I gain like eight pounds, which is just pollen and mucus. Yeah. So I'm in yeah. I'm in that uh, stage of my life right now. So I sound a little I might sound a little sexier than usual. So it's just the pollen <laughs> and the and all the snot. But I'm good, man. I'm good. Well,
1: that'll be really good for, for the views on this episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the sexy interview. <laughs>
0: yeah, I got a dry heave too. So, yeah, like Chris Farley in the nineties.
1: Yeah, <laughs> perfect. I'm really excited for you to be on the podcast. This is special to me in a lot of ways. Like I was telling you before we started recording, I you know grew up on film riot. I know so many of my film peers grew up on Film Riot. And so that's how I originally saw you uh, or learned about you, I should say, was through those episodes and stuff. You you did an episode on there about like, you know, beginner tips for your first first AC job, stuff like that. And bef- my very first job on a feature film was as an AC. And so I think I watched that probably like five times before I, <laughs> before I worked on that thing. So it's really incredible to have you here to talk about work and everything but the main reason why you're here is to talk about your documentary my brother jordan which is a feat of filmmaking in a lot of ways it tells the ultra personal story about your brother jordan and y'all's connection and his life and sad untimely death and i was just really blown away to see it and to hear that you know it took eight years to make over 100 interviews 300 plus home videotapes and over 450 hours of footage. Um, And all of that to lead up to an incredible story that has connected with so many people. It's now sitting at over 15 million views on YouTube, which is, I'm sure, a mind-blowing number. You know, I'm excited to talk about that and to dive into that process. But before we get to there, I want to go back to, um, you know, kind of your origin story. I guess I've learned a lot about your origin story through the documentary. But, you know, I want to go back to originally how you got into filmmaking and, when that became like a big part of your life. Obviously, I know from the documentary that basketball is a really huge part of your life. You know, you and Jordan would make home videos together. But can you kind of take us back to when this became something that you wanted to pursue professionally? Yeah.
0: So growing up, I've shared briefly stuff like this before, so I don't want to make it uninteresting, but the facts are the same. And the facts are, I grew up alluded by cinema, by Traditional commercial movies did not wasn't allowed to see a lot of movies. So was pretty starved from The movie going experience wasn't allowed to go to theaters and then the, the movies that we could see at home were Ultra limited to G rated movies only obviously I snuck some movies at friends houses but I had no concept for a director or filmmaking or Hollywood as a job or Crew members anything like that and so I fell into videos in around 2003 or 2004 with our VHS camera and was shooting stuff, learned how to edit, taught myself how to pirate songs and put them on a timeline and slash them up and, you know, throwing myself, giving myself a little bit of a a dated career. I was editing VHS to VHS. And then once we went digital, I was using LimeWire to to download soundtracks and whatnot and uh, just was doing it for fun. My life goal was to be a basketball player. And... Through making videos, it was like my alter ego. It was like the secondary thing. Basketball was my life, and, and making videos, I wouldn't say films, was the right next door, but it wasn't uh, a career path that I was aware of or, or even knew you could do that. But fast-forwarding to my older brother, who I was incredibly close with passing away from cancer right before my senior year of high school, basketball kind of died with him. And what filled that same motivated almost borderline psychotic mentality of this driven, competitive, hardworking, disciplined kid in basketball. It just kind of was adopted by filmmaking. And YouTube was kind of in its infant stages at that time, slash glory days. Film Riot was one of the things that I found and was fed by and was just eating it up because there wasn't a lot of filmmaking content out there and there wasn't a lot of hey here's how to write a script there was a privacy about filmmaking that i don't know if it was indirectly or directly shared by people in the industry but there wasn't a lot of sharing of information it was really hard to get you know unless you were at film school and even then i can't speak to it personally there's no telling how much on the front lines material you're actually learning so for me i was just trying to learn everything so i downloaded any free software i could to learn how to write and i downloaded scripts and started teaching myself and then it slowly kind of morphed from the death of my brother the death of basketball in a way filling uh, the shoes of filmmaking for me and then that's when i kind of learned what a director did and you know got a taste for the cohen brothers and style and actually feeling the the presence of a conductor you know of a puppeteer behind the camera and then it just kind of made sense for my life. I don't know. I just kind of fell in love with writing and and here I am, like I was just a few days ago actually going through an old bin that had all these scripts of projects I had shot and usually no matter if it was a sketch, some in college a short film, I kept like one draft physical that was on the shoot at some form at some point. and I just started putting them all into one binder and it got so big where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how many I need to count it. I don't I don't know the count, but just looking at like the first script yeah. I ever wrote called Pest Control. I never shot it. It's about pest control, as you might guess. And it's like in a Word <laughs> document. It's not formatted correctly. I'm sure there's, right. there's grammatical errors, but like it was cool to look at that You're and right. look at the last thing I wrote and go, this is life. This is growth that we all are, are hoping to achieve. So that's been interesting to kind of run on, run down that memory lane. Because for me as a writer, once I write something, I kind of get it out of my system fully. Like I almost forget. So if you read something of mine in five months that I just wrote, and you say, hey, I really love this scene, it's very high. There's a very high chance that I might not even remember what I'm, what you're referring to. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but that's something that I've been discovering about myself. So filmmaking kind of engulfed my life after my brother died. I mean, it took a long time because I, I didn't know anything about filmmaking. I didn't even know you were supposed to render your timeline before you edit. I didn't know what, what that was. Right. I didn't know anything about codecs or anything like technical. I was just, I had a camera and I could press record and, and shoot. I had no concept for lighting. And so through the years of getting on set and seeing people do things the right way, the wrong way, the the way that's right for them, I've kind of taken and thrown away everything and and trying to build a life of, of my own in this filmmaking world. So it's been uh, something I wouldn't have seen coming just because I was I was mm-hmm. not around the arts. You know, a lot of times you see someone who saw Jaws and then they go, I want to do that. I didn't have that moment because I wasn't allowed to see Jaws. So maybe I would have, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, uh, just my trajectory was very bizarre to me because I, I, my worst subject was reading comprehension and all I do now is want to read and write. So it's kind of funny. My character arc creatively to where I'm at Mm -hmm. now.
1: Yeah. I love that you have all your scripts because I, um, the scripts that I have all the stuff that I've like written and directed I take the shooting script, you know, the one that you have on set, that's all crumpled up and has like all your crazy scribbles on it and everything. And I get everyone that worked on it to sign it. And then I have them all in like cheap Walmart frames up just Mm -hmm. like around my apartment. And it's a really cool thing to look at, you know, the crappy thing I made (laughs) years ago, but it's like a testament to like, well, you, you still made it. So I love that Mm -hmm. you have that. I think that's such a, such a special thing. I
0: love that. I do that too. I have a few above me right now. And just yeah. from spring cleaning i kind of came across all these things and was like mm-hmm. wow how many do i have that aren't printed or how many pages have i written you know i was kind of curious myself so but i, right. I love that little mementos love that mm-hmm.
1: yeah and i like one of my scripts like the second one the second short that i make made my brother and my mom both like boom not op- boom opt for me on like two different days <laughs> and so i That's have amazing. their signatures on there as well and I'll never forget looking at my mom holding a backpack backwards <laughs> because we didn't have like a bag for my like little zoom, you know, thing. And so the zoom was just sitting in the open bag and she's boom hopping <laughs> and she would say like speeding and everything. It was a really cool, really cool experience. Wow. So, Shout out
0: to your mom. I don't think many filmmakers can say their mom boomed. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> their yeah That's they, pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was really awesome. Big, for big shit out to my mom. Yeah, yeah. She birthed you and boomed your film, man. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> what more can you ask?
1: <laughs> exactly. That's the great story of motherhood is birthing and then boom hopping. <laughs> in a hot July day where she was like sweating bullets. It was, it was, it was very great. I think it's really interesting that you started making this documentary, like in an, in the early part of your career you know I've I've watched your other interviews and stuff like that and you talked about how like you were really green when you started you know like you were saying you just had a 5d a lav mic that you would often borrow from people and an amazon Mm -hmm. softbox you know and even though this is such a huge important story I think a lot of people would maybe wait to start making it until they had run the gamut of making other films and you know like I, I, I think that there are probably some filmmakers that would think I want to make sure this film is perfect. And so I'm going to put it off until I am a perfect filmmaker or something like that. But I love that you started whenever it was so raw, it'll always be raw, of course, losing someone that is so important to you. But I think films like grief need time and, you know, in our culture, we're kind of supposed to just move on really quickly. You know what I mean? I think I've I think mm-hmm. I've read like the average time between death and burial is like 3 days in in the US, you know what I mean? Mm. Which is no time. <laughs> like and then you're supposed to just like go to work on Monday and it's it's sad but you don't it's it's that's never like expressed publicly when in a lot of cultures you move go into like a year-long mourning period and it's uh it is a part of your public life, you know. So I just think it is so Is such like a calling card to indie filmmakers. You just start making it like whenever you need to start making it. You know what I mean? It's a story like this. There's never going to be a right time to make it. So I I love that you figured it out as you went along in the same way that we figured out how to live without these people, which I'm still figuring out how to live without my grandmother. I mean, she died in December, but we couldn't have a funeral until March, which was also a weird thing because Mm. of COVID, you know? And so I'll I'll always be figuring that out and you will always be figuring out the same thing. So I just, I think that is such a, such a potent way to tell a story like this.
0: And to be fair, I mean, when I started 2012, he had died in 08. So it had already been four years of, of this festering, Mm -hmm. so to speak of, of readying myself. I mean, I was in no way Ready to make a film in two thousand eight. I mean I had just bought a Sony HDR FX one. If you want to Google it, that'll Yeah, show we'll show what a picture up on with. screen of what and, that is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and those days and uh hard earned money spent on that and a uh, two thousand seven IMAC and Final Cut Express. I was living the dream. <laughs> but so four years, even in two thousand twelve, I was definitely like I mean there's some interviews that look okay, but I mean, I was shooting on the, the picture profile cine-style at the time, and I and I I didn't have DaVinci. It was not a color, right. so some of those interviews you can't get back, you know? <laughs> and uh, it, they say it's raw, but right. it's not really raw yeah. for a DSLR. But yeah, there's there's aspects of that that come into play, like, years later when you look at this and you go, oh, man, I wish I would have, you know, had, had a more consistent look to the interviews or specific framing. I mean, but even at the time, I was shooting, like... Anybody who wasn't family on a 50 mil, hmm. you know, often to hide the background. Mm-hmm. And then anybody who was family, I was on like a 35. So I was a little closer. And so there were some things I was doing as a director that that I that I can look and go. I was doing what I could. My, my toolbox was not very full, but there were some things that I was doing. But I was also pulling my own focus while I'm interviewing. I'm, you know, talking to these people, spilling my own guts out before we do an interview. So it's something that I just didn't have the help I needed right. at the time. A filmmaker friend, a cinematographer, Andrew Bradford, came on in late 2015, I think, and started helping me shoot, which was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. But he was green at the time, too, but just as hungry as I was. And we were both dedicated to finishing this out. So we both kind of grew as filmmakers together and, and were able to shoot some stuff decently. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at a lot of docs that are made by really talented filmmakers, they're so beautiful. And like every frame, you're like, yeah, that's an Instagram post, and it's beautiful. And I think that's awesome, but this was, was, that was not even, I couldn't even have thought that at the time. It was just get the content. Cause if I would have waited, I mean, there's a few people that I've died. Right. So it's like, I wouldn't have been able to interview them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was something that I don't regret at all, but you can definitely see some hopeful growth of some of those earlier interviews, mm-hmm. but it wasn't about that. I mean, docs are pretty forgiving people right. say, cause I mean, there's every format of tape of super eight to, you know, uh, Canon C300 in the film. So it's pretty much every camera. I mean, I was doing some interviews remote right. via FaceTime, that cinematographers were in the room with the interviewee and I was on FaceTime and they were shooting with whatever camera they had at the and time. And you didn't
1: even know those people, right? You just would post online and they would just no, come and help. No, yeah. A few of
0: them I did mm-hmm. know, a few of them I did not. They just showed up at a friend of mine's house in some state that was too far away from me. And they were kind enough to shoot an interview view for me. And were, that's the only way I could, make something like this. There's no one in my corner giving, giving me money and find me Dolly's place. It was just, it was whatever you can do. So often people like if you were going to wait to make something perfect or wait till you're, you know, I'll always probably feel green as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. because there's so much in the world to know. Like I have one life, but I would love to be like a really good, I would love to have a lot of knowledge of cars. Mm -hmm. I don't like working on cars, but like just so when stuff breaks, I could go. Yeah or I would love in a lifetime to spend cooking just so I could be a really good chef. But like I have one life and I can only do a few things. Well, and not to say, I don't want to know about cars or don't want to cook. Well, it's just hard to kind of wait. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm, I'm going now that's all I have is right now. And that's those eight years. were all now the current now for Mm -hmm. me. So it's a testament to being driven and, you know, maybe too much. So in certain ways, but that's kind of the only way I've been able to make any film, let alone Mm -hmm. that one. Yeah. Eight years was not an intentional
1: decision either. Right. Right. It reminds me of uh, a phrase I was taught in film school that like films aren't finished, they escape. I, uh, I actually was watching one of your Instagram lives where you were doing like a Q&A about my brother Jordan. And you were talking about the post-production process. And in the little behind the scenes video that you made about it, you talked about how whenever you hit render or export for the final time, you just like, collapsed can you kind of take us to that moment because i mean that's got to feel i can't even really describe it you know that's just got to feel like the biggest release i mean i know this wasn't when you released it but like you released it on the 12th anniversary of his passing mm-hmm. and then you worked for eight, eight years on this film and then you you finally hit export on your computer i just i just want to know kind of what's going through your head in that moment
0: oh man I wish I could go back and and visit myself in that moment. But I was definitely like, I'm just a very motivated person Mm -hmm. and I'm very driven. And in some ways, like once I start doing something, I kind of have to do it. Even if it's like, we'll just finish it tomorrow. It's like, no, 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 the time is right (laughs) now. I'm in the right headspace. I need to do it now. And that could be writing a script or organizing something or whatever. And, and, and with this, I just had like a fire inside me for so Mm -hmm. long. I mean, I was physically burning to tell the story like it was it was painful every day not to work Mm -hmm. on it anytime I wasn't on it that just was a horrendous thorn in my side to go because I got to finish it Mm -hmm. I got to finish it I got to finish it and obviously when you're building things you know that you can't look to the top you got to go brick by brick and focus on the bricks and build a good foundation but I had waited obviously so long and I mean I had locked edit like a year and a half before I exported it so I had waited on sound and color and music and you know I had a composer kind of fall out and had a sound mixer kind of fall out and so I kind of had to start over from Mm. scratch and a lot of people just started pitching in and were amazing help and and lifted a lot of that weight but it had just been so many things as you know peaks and valleys of making a film so when it did my wife had just gotten home or walked in the door and I was just kind of standing there and I could barely get the words out but I just said it's done. And, like, as soon as I said that, as soon as I put those words in the universe, my, my I, like, physically just, like, slumped to the floor and just, like, wept. I mean, it was... Also, I wept partly because I was working with the 2011 Refurbished Time <laughs> so the export was going to take, like, two days. <laughs> but, I think uh, everyone is wept yeah, it just <laughs> because the, of that kind yeah. of scenario. People are like, oh, man, can you make this one change? You're like, all right, if you're cool with me, send it <laughs> yeah, to you in three exactly. days because it's going to take that long to export, render, and then re-export and send it to you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was just a just a great relief obviously and mm-hmm. cuz I had I mean proofing a short film to make sure your credits are good, making sure right. you had this every shot's colored, all those things like I had proofed an hour long doc about my dead brother like a thousand yeah. times. So even the even those tedious little changes were done mm-hmm. and it was one of the most explosive reliefs of my life, mm-hmm. you know. I was dying to tell the story and so it was finally done and I was close. So it was I don't know, man, long time coming, yeah. it almost broke me, you know, it's like, I don't know how much longer I could take this not being done. So really grateful that it was and grateful that it's out there. And cause it's like you, you know, you have a story that this blueberries thing, for example, it's like, I can't see it because it's not done. And ideas are, are, are so ethereal and mm-hmm. invisible like when you physically write a draft and then you can show it to someone or you can hold it in your hand or you can press play and I can experience what's in your head. When it's not that, it's excruciating. Mm-hmm. And this had been not that for eight years. It had been just something. What do you work on? Um, doing this thing for my brother. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's cool. What's it going to be? How's it gonna, how long is it, it going to be sad? All oh, it's going to, you know, all these things. And finally, I, I didn't have to say anything more. Mm-hmm. The film was going to say what I wanted to say. So that was a big relief.
1: Yeah. And like in a similar way you know we were talking about how long it took you to make it like i am almost glad in a way that i didn't film it original film blueberries when we were originally going to film it mm. because with the whole film school system we had a deadline uh, a weekend that worked for everybody and so we were kind of like Oh shit oh shit oh shit here we here we go and we didn't have all of everything Mm -hmm. that we needed before you know we were like oh we'll figure out food on the drive there (laughs) like that kind of stuff you Mm -hmm. know and then all of a sudden the world stops like everyone just their lives change and so now i've had a year to reflect and become a better filmmaker Mm -hmm. and like just really sit down and think like work with my direct my producer my dp and just really like what is the story what is it missing And because of that, we're adding like a couple scenes at the beginning, which are exactly what it was missing. And those never, we never would have thought to Mm. make it the first time around. So I think that time is like really just imperative for the Mm. film to mature and for you to mature with it. Cause I mean, I look at the person I was a year ago and it's like, oh, that's, I barely recognize that person, not in a bad way, but just because Mm. of like all the things that have happened, my perspectives has told have totally shifted. So, um, Mm. I think, I think that timeline is really interesting. And then in the same way that creating my brother, Jordan was an Everest to climb. It feels like there's a whole other story and distribution life of it. Like I said, at the beginning, it has over 15 million views on YouTube. Not that anyone should be shooting to get millions of views or anything, but just the fact that it's been seen by so many people I'm sure has got to feel really you know, incredible. And I love I'd love for you to talk about how it got hooked by the YouTube algorithm and then there was like a a trend on like TikTok to react to it and stuff. It it really speaks to me as a story that you don't need the typical traditional distribution. I actually want to read a quote that you read in your behind the scenes doc from someone's review of it on Letterboxd. They said, It's exciting Mm -hmm. to see something so uncompromisingly personal find such a massive audience without traditional film distribution. Go make your movie, tell your stories. I I mean, I guess what more do you need to say? But (laughs) I'd love for you to kind Mm -hmm. of elaborate on that a little bit.
0: Yeah. So originally when I started making it, people, the first question was, are you going to do festivals Mm -hmm. with it? Even people who weren't around filmmakers, they just thought that's the place Mm -hmm. you go. And it might be. But I just, at that time, thought it was weird to do a festival about this. And I wasn't sure how this was going to come together. I didn't know I was going to like be in it and, right. and narrate it and all that t- all that stuff at the time and then I just I didn't care what was going to happen then I knew I had so much work ahead of me so I just focused on making it I mean everything was in such massive quantities even to like go to the hospital and legally get his medical documents took like 6 months so then I have 1200 pages of medical documents to sort through you know that is the film but mm-hmm. that's not feet on the ground filmmaking so to speak so it was like This massive thing that I had to work through. So I was not focused on distribution, have never had anything distributed, did not know exactly a seller, didn't, don't have an agent, don't have a manager, don't live in Hollywood, don't live in New York. And so by the time it was getting close to being done, I had shared a rough cut, which was 37 minutes longer than the final film with people that were kind of in those circles, people who knew somebody who knew somebody and then somebody, you know, a producer that had had stuff distributed or in big festivals. So when I was done in January twenty twenty, that's when I started singing out to people. And of course when people were starting to get back to me in March is mm-hmm. when, you know, sort of COVID lockdown, everyone lost their minds. So people who were willing to help me beforehand were scrambling to figure out their own films that were playing in big festivals or their life, you know, what is COVID? All these things mm-hmm. that everyone was figuring out. So then it's like, What do you do now? I've waited this long to finish this thing of all years. I finished it. You know, this whole historic disease thing happens so a lot of the kind of connections i had kind of got lost in the confusion of of life so people that were like oh yeah please send it to me let's talk blah 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 it kind of didn't happen for a few of the people that i thought would be the people who could show me where to go because i was kind of hey this thing is done like i'm not asking for notes where would you recommend me trying to pursue and how would i go about pursuing a netflix or hulu or just Vimeo or some people recommend to do Vimeo on demand Mm -hmm. and I wasn't interested in making money. That was not the goal. I wanted it to be accessible Mm -hmm. and I've had friends who have made cool stuff and put it online for, you know, three or $4 or on iTunes for 10 Mm bucks and all that's awesome. And I applaud a lot of those people who have done that. But with this, I didn't want there to be any barrier between someone watching it, someone thinking, well, that poster doesn't look that good. So it's not worth $4. I don't want you to think I wanted you to just click play after seeing Jordan's face. That was the whole pitch. It's, you know, it's kind of my mindset on my own filmmaking. It's like, if you read the script and you tell me, no, I'm good with that. I don't need to. But if you read the script, it'll tell you everything you need to know if you want to do this film. And so people who are reaching out and saying, Oh, well, you got to do this. You could do this. Oh, it's too personal. That was, that was a lot of the notes was just too personal. I just can't see it going on like a Netflix or some big thing or, you know, maybe you should try this or maybe you should cut this out or cut that character mm-hmm. out and these are real people right you know, people call them characters so like the one of the last phone calls was was with a producer person who's really talented does a lot of distribution stuff and produces a lot of cool stuff but they were just like you know you might could get like a small thing with maybe like voodoo or something like that but you know if you cut it was just one of those like and I'm just not that way. Right. I'm not a business person. I know those are some skills I have to learn as as a filmmaking as a filmmaker. But I was like, no, this is it. Like it's done. I would be lying if I cut something. This right. is the truth. And if it's if it's worth putting it out for free versus, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Making five grand and putting it on a streaming service where I don't have full control. That's not worth mm-hmm. it to me. So I just like, I'll just put it on Vimeo on YouTube for free. You know, it'll be accessible. There's no ads on my YouTube channel. So if you click play, you won't be interrupted. And and Vimeo is for anybody who wants to watch it on Mm -hmm. Vimeo. So I did that. And pretty much everybody that I knew that knew Jordan or knew me or knew of this project had kind of watched it in the first week or two. And then that's when I think it got in the YouTube algorithm. Mm -hmm. And it was around 20,000 views, I think. And it just like, boom, 50,000 views in a day. Boom, 100,000 views. And I was like, whoa, this is... I've had a couple short films that have a couple million views like over many, many, many years, but I'm not familiar with how that stuff works. So the YouTube algorithm was just apparently this mysterious thing. I've never been contacted by anybody on YouTube. I didn't do anything, didn't press any buttons. But because of COVID, people being on lockdown, I think the idea of watching something that was an hour long on YouTube was way much more palatable Mm. than before COVID because it's like, Oh, an hour, no way. Like nice try. You're not worth an hour. But yet they would watch a thousand videos that would go for five hours, but one video for an hour, no one would watch, which is understandable, but at the same coin, not. So it just started blowing up and people were reaching out that didn't know me, didn't know Jordan, didn't know anything about this project. Just came across it. Hey, it was on the front page of my YouTube. And then people were saying, Hey, it's on TikTok. Mm -hmm was not familiar with TikTok, and basically yeah they were just filming themselves watching it in certain parts and then just posting it and saying like you got to watch this my brother jordan and a lot of it was just like high school girls crying and people were tagging me and stuff on every social media i was getting more messages than i've had in a lifetime and it was like almost unmanageable to keep inboxes fairly empty and people just kept seeing it and sharing their own stories of like you the grandmother or their brother my dad died my mother died i'm not close with my brother but now i am all these i almost killed myself last night but like jordan encouraged me to live and all these crazy messages that you know i have tons and tons of screenshots of these things but it was just a a massive tidal wave Mm -hmm. of of response and it was pretty incredible but like overwhelming in a way just because the amount you know but but just like I was uh dealing and juggling the amount of footage and the amount of medical documents, like it mirrored that on the on once it was out. I got like equally as many messages equally as many mm-hmm. you know friend requests or whatever, and it was just uh, unforeseen, but at the same time it was like any film I make if it had had fifteen million views, I'm sure I probably would have a manager right now or an agent or you know somebody willing to help fund the next film if I didn't that would be pretty disappointing, yeah. but people would be knowing more about me than they would about, or, or they would be knowing more about the actor that was in that right. film. But with this film, people get to know my brother and they get to know coach, who was a really pivotal relationship for me and Jordan, who ended up passing away as from a heart attack in the midst of making this mm-hmm. film. So that became a kind of a sub story that I never would have wished right. happened, but it happened. So it was just this beautiful thing to go. Anything I ever make whether i make really cool stuff for the rest of my life obviously i'm glad this is the one that quote blew up mm-hmm. and people get to see i mean jordan's face is on the thumbnail people jordan was the guy that that didn't always get the limelight mm-hmm. he wasn't the loudest you know he was just that quiet like if he was a crew member he would be someone that the director would reflect on 6 months ago and you know you know how that shot like happened was because of that mm-hmm. guy and no one knows he's just that guy for everybody so Obviously, he was that that way for mm-hmm. me. So when people got to meet Jordan, it was just this amazing opportunity. Obviously, he's not here to speak for himself, but to kind of give someone who's so quiet a voice and a platform to shine and to go, nah, man, it's about you. Mm-hmm. So that was a really beautiful thing to see people and recognize from all over the world a someone like Jordan and go and see those attributes and those character qualities that are beautiful, innate, and helpful to the world not self-serving not uh you know it was just beautiful so jordan was the best of everyone i've ever met and uh, you know a lot of people you can see the worst in them so quickly it's hard it's hard to find it in jordan and that's really hard for me to say because i can see both i can see the positive and negative and obviously sometimes the positive is really strong sometimes the negative is overwhelming jordan it's hard Mm -hmm. and that's just an incredible gift that he had that he blessed me with. Yeah, it was something I would not have foreseen 15 million views. And I don't even know what it has on Vimeo now, but just something that people are still messaging me yeah. and sharing their thoughts about. It. It's been really cool. So, and I'm writing a book now, which yeah. was something I had started years and years ago, but shelved literally to kind of finish this doc. So I thought that's the format to tell this story. That's the vehicle that's going to get me there as a doc. So I have all this footage. You know, filmmaking is how I can speak. It's a language for me, but writing a book has been something I've always wanted to do, something I've dabbled mm-hmm. in. And I have so many stories that didn't make it into the cut of the documentary because 20 years of life in 60 minutes, you're going to leave stuff mm-hmm. out. Rightly so, just for pace. But there's like, I could do a whole stand up routine just telling stories from our childhood. I mean, we were super conservative, homeschooled pastor kids who weren't allowed to watch <laughs> movies and, and like living in the sandlot world. So there's a lot of just funny right. stories that, that were left. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, their gold. It's like your grandmother, you know, she passes away. And unless she had told you or you had had some recording of this story that she might've lived, it's mm-hmm. gone. And that's such a great tragedy. And so I didn't want to let any of these stories of Jordan or our escapades as, as childhood rascals like die. And so if that was putting into a book for me to read later when I am forgetful, or if I have dementia, one day I go, I can read this and go, these, this is the truth. I'm reading a transcript of my life. And the best part of my life was jordan mm-hmm. so that's why i'm writing a book now so just a lot of the the untold stories again like i made the doc for myself i'm writing the book for myself and if people love it they want to read it that's awesome man all, all the more props to jordan mm-hmm. you know once you read these stories of who he was and and how he was himself
1: i will definitely be reading it no question. so i look, I look forward to being it out um another beautiful thing is that you and your wife just had your Had y'all's first baby right, and their middle name is Jordan, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, nine weeks old. That was really special to see. Congrats on that. That's great. Yeah, that was a surprise of
0: twenty twenty. Thanks, man. Mm -hmm. He's healthy. He's doing good. I hope he has uh, more qualities of my wife than me, because otherwise, (laughs) it's going to be a handful. But he's he's doing good, man. Yeah, it was a twenty twenty surprise. But now it's like you you don't even remember what life was really before, in some ways. And we're only nine weeks Mm -hmm. in, so it's an adjustment. Obviously, it's very trying right. and tiring, all the things you've heard. But I'm excited down the road to have like actual conversations <laughs> right. with him when he can understand. But you yeah, have something, man. So it's, it's, it's like the circle of life. I've seen my brother die, and I've seen my kid born. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy spectrum yeah. in between. I mean, the pendulum swing from mm-hmm. what I've seen and what I've seen on both sides is pretty gnarly. So that's part of this book I'm writing is talking about that kind of in the later life because I share up to Jordan's death and then I share kind of how I handled things for better for worse not as saying hey I'm the hero mm-hmm. or I'm the villain but these are some things that I did that helped me here's some some really ridiculous things people said to me in regards to grief here's some things I wish someone had said to me here's some things that helped me or some things that I did that may or may not have helped me mm-hmm. but I uh, just kind of speak in truth of the journey because every journey is different and then also you know that circle of life thing was was pretty potent to think about because i had finished the first draft of the book the day he was supposed to be born my son remy and his middle name is my brother's name jordan so the day he was due is the the morning i literally printed the first draft and then he came a week later so it's crazy for the circle of life took me eight years to to make the documentary it took me three months to write the book Mm. so a different world yeah
1: absolutely I really love what you said about documenting those stories and preserving them because I think about that often. Every, every short that I've made is drawn from my own personal life. And like I said earlier, like a lot of them are drawn from grief. My family has lost a lot of people. And so like that short that my mom and brother were boom operators for was inspired by my grandfather passing the Mm. husband of my grandmother who just passed, even though that film is not like directly about him or there's not like a grandfather in the movie or anything it still is a documentation of our relationship and so i think a lot about how like i I need to immortalize this story like i my dad's a a natural storyteller i grew up listening to he and my mom's stories and that's i think where my knack comes from and so many times he'll be telling a story and and, or or like i'll be introducing friends to him and i'm like tell him this one tell him that one and i just want to capture it and hold it in a bottle and like, keep it forever. You know what I mean? I love that idea of preserving those things because you know, one day we may forget, so I love that. I love that you have that, you know, just for yourself, even if no one saw it, like, even if this just sat on a hard drive and you never posted anywhere, it would still be potent because of that, you know, because it's for you. But the fact that it has had such an incredible journey online you know i think as as an as an indie filmmaker just graduated film school and you know i'm i'm having (laughs) almost daily conversations with my film school friends about how we have no idea what we're doing and it's such a weird time to be a filmmaker and blah, blah 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 i won't bore you with our problems but this is an inspiring story for me because it shows that you don't have to live in la or in New York, or have a ton of equipment, or know exactly what you're doing to succeed at telling your story. You know, everyone wants to get an Oscar. Everyone wants to go to Sundance. Like, you know, no one will turn down those opportunities, but the goal is just to tell the story and for people to see it. So why not YouTube? You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of traditional media people that maybe balk at like hosting it online publicly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of bullshit because like who cares Mm. if they're watching it on a phone or a laptop or a tv or movie screen like they're they're consuming the story and they're we've all been introduced to jordan which is the goal that you set out to originally I, i watched the reviews video that you put together and there are multiple people that said like I didn't know Jordan and now I wish I did, or now I feel like I did. And I feel like Mm. he knew me, a specific quote that I wrote down that stood out to me, Ryan Polly, a filmmaker that, uh, sent you a video said it, my brother, Jordan showed how extraordinary some ordinary people can be. And that what that told me, uh, as a filmmaker, which is a message that I want to share to all my peers is that these stories are everywhere. You know, I think maybe some people feel that they're like not living a life that is giving them material or something like that. Like they look around and they don't know what to tell a story about. But I think this shows that like, there's probably a lot of Jordans out there. Like, obviously the Jordan is so unique and there's no one like him, but in the same way, I think everyone has yeah. that person to them. Mm-hmm. And I know my older brother is like, I'm the youngest of of, of three, my older brother and uh, older sister. And I know my brother is like, you know, I grew up and he was everything to me and still is everything to me in a lot of ways. And we've made, he's a musician. And so he's made like music for my shorts and stuff, but just, I love that. It's been so successful, non-traditionally quote unquote. Cause like you said, with, with, with festivals, that's in a way that's kind of like gatekeeping it. Like you can only see it if you can go to the festival or you can afford a ticket. Yeah. But I just love how, I, I just love that this was publicly available just seemed like the best thing. I think like you said in an interview, like that's the most Jordan way to do it or the most Justin way to do it. Just put it online and then yeah. let people consume it, you know?
0: And then crazy thing to jump back. The guy, Ryan Polly, who said that quote was also the first person to respond to that call for mm-hmm. videos. He's a filmmaker friend in Texas. He is extraordinary himself, creative mustache to uh, blockbuster fan from the eighties. But It was something that was weird too because festivals are obviously a big thing and they can kind of uh open the gates for a lot of people but the year that i finished this and the year that i'm like no i'm not going to do festivals all the festivals that are obviously (laughs) the in-person ones that give you your hopeful next handshake that that sets your career up were all becoming online Mm -hmm. so they were basically becoming vimeo and youtube links so in the year of like oh, I can't believe you're doing festivals. All these, even friends that had gotten into some big festivals mm. were not able to go and kind of reap the benefits of of meeting that other filmmaker, that other producer. And so it was just a weird time that, I mean, no one really knows what they're doing. right? So, mm. I mean, there's some people I'm sure that have done it a bunch of different ways, but like you look at Jim Cummings, who's been making films the last few years, and I'm a big fan and just going like, Nah, I'll do it myself. We don't need a studio. Or we don't need to be greenlit. We get all of our friends who want to make films and like-minded people. And it's just a beautiful yeah. thing not to stick it to Hollywood or to stick it. It's just a way. All we want to do is get it out of our system. Mm-hmm. So if you make it with a studio system, awesome. If you make it independently with your mom booming and your brother booming, awesome. If you make it and put it on YouTube, awesome. There is a little bit of a... People do stick their noses a little bit. At uh, stick their noses up a little bit at YouTube, just because it's I think it's a more saturated or it's like a it's like a Walmart people <laughs> want to shop at Whole Foods. Right. You know, they're like they're not <laughs> yeah. they're too high and mighty to go at Walmart. I'm like, well, if you go to Walmart, you can get your carrots and yeah. like, you know, some shoes yeah. too. It's <laughs> and you an know, oil change <laughs> you can get printer ink. Yeah, new tires. I mean, so it's like do whatever you want, yeah. but I you know you shouldn't stick your your nose up to Voodoo or Amazon or iTunes, or I mean, there's multiple ways if people can see it. That's the goal. So, it's been something that isn't. It wasn't a recipe. It was a necessity mm-hmm. for me. Of I just want people to see it. So, I mean, when I started making stuff, there was no way for people to see it, right? Unless I burned a DVD and put it in your DVD player. <laughs> you know, even then, MySpace came out and the upload for video, which was an add-on, was like 300 megabytes, right. which is yeah. nothing. So then years later, YouTube comes out. That's the only way I can share something with you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm just happy to share it with you. If it's Vimeo, it's Vimeo. if it's YouTube. So mm-hmm. it was something that was, uh, again, not a goal. It was just a happenstance to go. I'm going to put it on both. So right. whoever is familiar with this, I know smart TVs have the YouTube app. It's just something that is simple as easy. I mean, there's older people that can manage YouTube. Right. right. They can search the name, the title. It should come up. It's fairly easy. You know, but I have nothing against any other streaming site or it was just something that that happened. So I'm all for however you get it done. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you if you edit on Final Cut X or Premiere or Avid, doesn't doesn't matter to me, whatever it works. I mean I had a two thousand eleven refurbished IMAC that should have been dropped off a bridge. (laughs) You know? And that's what I was rendering this stuff (laughs) on for two days. Like it was almost impossible to edit that Mm -hmm. thing. I love, I love, I'm not a Mac hater. I love right. Macs. It was just this really old uh, yeah. machine that was screaming to, re- to be sure, retired, yeah. which I did. That was the last project yeah. I did. I said, all right, you did good. You
1: did good. About on the top. You've done, yeah, you you've did, done your you job. You did, you did good.
0: Uh, go, go look at the closet yeah, now. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. But yeah. Yeah. I also think, you know, you could easily look at how coronavirus affected my brother Jordan as a negative, um, because it probably could have gotten into huge festivals and you could have gone and, you know, like you said, shaking the hands with the suits and getting an agent and all that kind of stuff. And then it would have been a lot harder for me to get in contact with you, mm-hmm. but in a way I'm pretty accessible. My door is open. It has to
0: be like really sexual or really uh, selfish for me not to yeah, respond. Yeah,
1: no, I you responded pretty quickly, and I, I really appreciated that. You were just like, "Yeah, sounds good." I was like, "Perfect, let's do it." But you know, I I think maybe some. I mean, I know I was certainly discouraged with how it was affecting the film world, but COVID made us all. It it gave the world a collective experience which I haven't had. Throughout my life, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a super rare thing. And it also gave us a collective Mm -hmm. grief because thousands of people were dying every day. I mean, where I am in New York right now, I luckily wasn't here when it was at the peak of it. But like, you know, not to be macabre, but they were digging mass graves and stuff like that. And all this awful traumatic stuff that we are, we're acting like, like we've gotten over it. But I think we'll still be dealing with the emotional ramifications of this for a while. And so I think... In a way, this documentary was like, how, how do we get this all out with strangers? And then mm. your story comes along in which you're telling everybody like, Hey, I am being as honest as I can with my grief. And then I think in a, in a lot of ways, people grieved through that, you know? So I, I think like, because of, of the pandemic, it gave us this shared experience and then your not really shared experience. Like it's, it's really unique to you, really exclusive to you. Gave me and 15 million other people a way to, um, release the tension from your shoulders and like deflate the balloon. Cause I think we've all been like tense for a year straight. So I'm just glad yeah. that it got, it had that effect, you know, cause it certainly had that effect on me whenever I watched it. I kind of like put it off for a few days, to be honest with you, because like I said, mm-hmm. I've been following you for years. So like, I, I saw that it was coming out and I was really excited about, it, but I was like, I, I need to like be in a place <laughs> to, to yeah. get there. And then I was there and I'm, you know, it was just a huge, like release of a ton of emotions that we were all feeling. So in a way, like mm-hmm. what better time for it to come out than whenever every audience member has some awful thing that they're going through that's sad but you get what i'm saying yeah
0: no man it's you're not wrong it's really bizarre because i've said this before but like it seemed like the world needed a good cry yeah. and obviously when you watch a film you project uh, indirectly your own experiences right. or your grandmother mm-hmm. onto this and little moments can spur a thought that you thought was long yeah. gone or you never knew was was stuck in the hard drive of your mind and that's the beauty of filmmaking and the music and film or whatever spurred that moment and so i think for me there was people all over the world who english is not the first mm-hmm. language they're old they're young they're this they're that and they were able to like connect and i think the world like you said their everyone's their their neck was tight their tension you know you you didn't really exhale deeply and i think this film was in a way a little reset a relief button to go oh and also i saw that as you know like We as filmmakers have a big responsibility, like those stories of your grandmother, my brother, that we don't want to let die. And whether it goes into a film or a book or just influences our work, we have a responsibility to do that because a lot of people who are not creatives have nowhere to put that. Mm -hmm. You know, they might tell that story once and it's kind of our job to like preserve, like you said. So for me, I saw a big thirst of that, of this preserving of their loved ones and being okay with talking about Mm -hmm. it being okay to call it what it is, being okay to, to say, I am hurt because of this, you know, if you fall down off a bike and scrape your knee, you're not going to go like, I didn't cut myself. You did. Mm-hmm. And so emotionally, why, why are we not honest about that? So for me, I saw a big thirst of people just connecting due to honesty, mm-hmm. just thinking, just saying, thanks for being honest, because we live in a society where honesty is not, yeah. you know, kept to the forefront, whether it's TV, television, movies, or reality show, or just what we see on our phones, it was uh, refreshing to kind of see that as a, as, as see people thirsting for that, I thought was a really valuable tool. I mean, even the TikTok thing of seeing these high schoolers, like really watching and investing rather than just like scrolling Mm -hmm. or I don't know anything cliche. It was really cool. Like when you thought about it going, these high schoolers are like Filming themselves cry. Some of it seems like a little, you know, uh, selfish. Some of them seem very pure to go. Wow, like bravo to right. you for being able to put your emotions out there, for feeling that empathy for another, your fellow human. Mm. So I thought there was a lot of things that I that I thought, despite everything, it was really beautiful and refreshing to hear, mm. to kind of see the void filled just for honesty or empathy. I think those are things that are obviously needed in every society. Mm. You know, so that that was really cool. Yeah. A really cool surprise to experience
1: yeah i think the honesty of it is another thing that really floored me i don't know i, I watch my brother jordan and like it i, I want to make stuff like that you know what i mean like with i'm tr- with tungsten i'm trying to build a company and i have conversations with my producers all the time about like what is the foundation that we're trying to lay this the stories that we're trying to tell and all that kind of stuff and one of the mm. main bullet points is honest media, you know, whether that's a podcast or documentary or a shorter feature or music video, whatever it is, I think it, it needs to come from an honest place and places like YouTube where there's just like crazy clickbait and like toxic stuff, you know, that is, is harmful in a lot of ways. This is like a breath of fresh air. Um, and I, I want to read another quote from your review video, Paul Walter Hauser, who's a really a Incredible actor, I think hit it, Mm -hmm. hit the nail on the head whenever he said, um, Justin managed to do something extraordinary, which is just tell the truth. And Mm. in a way that's a simple thing to do, but with something that can be as uncomfortable or as sloppy as grief, I think it is really, uh, potent and powerful to just like, look at the camera and say like, this sucks. There's no happy ending. I wish it wasn't this way. I wish I wasn't making this doc. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I wasn't, I wish blueberries didn't exist. I wish I could still go see my grandmother and stuff. Yeah. And that she never got forgetful. I don't know. I just think that's really commendable to not have a stiff upper lip and mm. power through it. But just to like admit that it is awful, but that's okay. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Shout out to Paul Walter Hauser, Yeah. Man. He's a genius. I mean, even as an actor, I know that he would strive to, I can't speak for mm-hmm. him, but I'm gonna right now, that he would strive for mm-hmm. honesty and honest performance. I mean, Richard Jewell, I telling you, even though it's a little more comedic, I mean, it seems truthful. Yeah. And that's what we all strive for as filmmakers. Cause a lot of things I can't do as a filmmaker, as a human, but what I can do is be honest. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's the goal. And there are some things cause our, our society, especially I grew up in a very like conservative Christian world, we have to have like, Jesus has to come back at every story mm. And, you know, even from the Bible, he it, it comes back at the end, sure, but there's a lot of stories where people die. Yeah. Sad things happen. And, and not to go, this is the only reality that I live in. But Jordan was eaten alive by cancer. He wasn't just a cute little kid with a bald chemo head. And he's now a, an angel on my shoulder. I mean, he got eaten right. alive. I mean, his wounds smelled like death nothing like I've ever smelled in my life. And that's a fact. That's what cancer did. It wasn't just uh, chemo and radiation. I mean, cancer turns people's hands black, like it, it rots their skin. It does all of these things. And, and I just wanted to be honest about that because there was, there's a tendency for people, especially in the childhood I grew up in is to go like, well, yeah, yeah. But like at the end, can you say like, everything's okay mm-hmm. and, and not that everything's never going to be okay or, or, you know, I, that's just not the way I want to make movies, and I don't want to live my life that way. So I'd, I'd rather die one day honest than to, to live a dishonest life out of fear for someone's perception of how a story should end, which in return would not serve that person at all. Mm-hmm. You know, if they watch a movie that doesn't have, quote, a happy ending. And uh, I don't know. I, it's not about them anyway it's about how, right. how i feel and to get it off my chest in an honest way like there's a, a short film i was supposed to shoot last year and then covid hit and it's uh very like you know you see some short films where it's not quote a complete story mm-hmm. there's not this huge arc there's not this three-act structure whatever you want to say it's more of like a slice of life right. it's a couple scenes it's a character study and i had written this thing that it's like a slice of death film. Yeah. It's about a funeral director and kind of a day in the life and how death might affect that person who deals with death every day. And it's like seven pages and I had this really talented actor lined up and didn't get to do it. And I reread part of it the other night and I would love to do it one day, but it's just one of those like, it's a very heavy, sad, but I think influential thing to pursue because it's honest. Mm-hmm it's an honest look at what those people do. I mean, if you're going to make a a film, about a a trash man, are you not going to show garbage? It's just like, I mean, you could, Mm -hmm. but if I make that film, you're going to see a bag of garbage at some Mm -hmm. point. So that's kind of how I approach the doc and how I approach my life and the book and anything I make. Mm -hmm. So it's take it or leave it, but I'm, I'm going to be honest, you know, so it's an honest experience. This is not a lie. A lot of scenes in the scripts I write are based on actual things that happened or stuff like that. So I don't know, filmmaking is a weird place to kind of put all of your life indirectly and directly into that canvas mm-hmm. for the world to see because it's a shared experience. like you said, COVID is a shared grief and I, that's a really beautiful thing. Not the grief that we share over COVID, mm-hmm. but that it's a shared thing. I think cinema does that, whether you're watching a foreign film or something about who you think is your childhood life you know so
1: i also think that it's important when making this kind of stuff to just like as the as the artist who's telling the story to like sit in it for a little bit you know like like i said there was i mean it's going to be over a year from whenever i was originally supposed to blueberries do we will be filming it in june and i hadn't like visited the script for a while you know i just was like too much <laughs> was going on i didn't even want to look at it again And so when my producers and I, a couple months ago, were talking about like, okay, so, you know, let's actually lock in some dates and we're gonna film this and, you know, start planning it out. I knew I wanted to revisit the script because I know, even though I haven't like written a ton, I know I'm a better writer than I was a year ago, just because I'm more mature than Mm -hmm. I was. And so it worked out to where the first time that I ever looked at the script since March 12th of last year was the week of my grandmother's funeral whenever I was home um, for that week. And I remember my lead producer, she, she's such a great, really close friend. And she, she was like, All right, is that okay? Like, are you sure that's not going to be too much? I think is what she said. And I was basically like, I think that's exactly what I need. Like, I, I don't want to revisit the script when I'm up in Brooklyn and worried about getting to work the next day. I want to do it when I'm home in Mississippi, because that's where we're filming in my hometown where these stories actually happened. And I just want to like sit in it for a second. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of me like pacing in my backyard, just thinking like, cause I knew something was missing and I couldn't place it. But like I said, then we came up with the new scene and now it's going to be way better than it was. Mm-hmm. But I, I think sometimes people can be like scared of doing that, scared of tackling those really personal stories because it it's, you know, not easy, like you said, to, to look inward, but the way that you can connect with people is so powerful. Like with blueberries, whenever I was, um, still, whenever we were still having in-person classes at film school and stuff, I remember telling a professor who was an editing professor there who had been on the podcast. We were like, we had a a good rapport, but he wasn't like the professor I was closest to. I told him about blueberries. And then he immediately started opening up to me about his experience with his mother's Alzheimer's. And he was like, yeah, later Mm. in life, she got really mean and it was really hard and all this stuff. And we're just kind of like sitting in a classroom. And I think that um, shows just how, how important it is to tell it for yourself, Mm -hmm. but also for others, you know, because you never know how someone can relate to it. Um, you know, like I never would have thought that that professor went through a similar thing with, with Alzheimer's, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and like you said, you've just been inundated with other people telling you their stories and stuff. Um, I actually saw, I was looking through the comments and I saw someone say like this 71 year old grandma is so happy that you made it, you know, how, how incredible Mm. that your film was able to transcend age, age difference and language Mm. barriers and all this kind of stuff. Um, I just think it is all a Testament to like telling a story that can be difficult to tell like that's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if it's, if it's hard to tell it, then that probably really shows that it's like really worth telling, you know what I mean? Mm. Because Man. you know, it's, for me, it's a, it's like a way, a way for me to process my own grief is to just start writing a script mm-hmm. about it. You know, it's the best way. I, 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 like you said in one of your interviews, like we don't have a, a lot of language for grief, you know, we have, I'm sorry for your loss, but that doesn't mean too much. That's just what we say. Um, So I think the language of film is more Mm. is has a more breadth to it to explore these things. You know, Yeah. no, that's beautiful. That's dead on.
0: I bet you'll be surprised at when you make blueberries. Hopefully everything goes well. Like people who reach out that have a similar experience or I mean, my own grandmother, she was probably pre dementia. was pretty cold, but she was it was definitely colder. So. I don't know man it's fascinating even a short film i made in 2014. it was uh this quirky film called papa the pizza man it sort of deals with suicide it touches on suicide but i've never like made a film with like it's about this you know i had had a a few people that i know have committed suicide and friends of friends and stuff like that and the first day we were shooting is like six pages of dialogue basically talking to this guy this pizza delivery guy drives up on a house the door is ajar. It's the wrong house, but the guy in this house is about to kill himself. So, this pizza delivery guy just starts talking to him because this pizza delivery guy's brother had killed himself years prior. So, it's this conversation between these two guys, basically being honest from both perspectives. And uh, a crew member on my set had to get up in between setups and like walked outside, mm-hmm. I think had a smoke, like took a break, and then later that night told me he had to step away because it got too emotional for him because he almost killed himself mm-hmm. when his like high school. Era, wow. And he was someone I knew like fairly well, but did you know, mm-hmm. didn't know that part of his life and something in this really quirky scene, uh, just spoke to him because there's a story this guy shares about, uh, Popeye, the, del- the delivery guy shares a story that is a true story about a friend of a friend, how his brother killed himself. And it was just this, uh, amazing instant. And this guy was grateful for the experience. He wasn't saying this is right. too heavy. I can't be here. It was just like a really beautiful thing that, uh. I was just so grateful to experience with him and he felt, he felt welcome. He felt heard and he felt uh, like it was a safe place to share that because he knew we were all had the same goal was mm-hmm. to be an honest, to, to make an honest film. And uh, it was really beautiful. So you never know, man, your teacher, whoever mm-hmm. of what your film will speak to. I mean, there was, I remember one message I got from a lady, I want to say it was Mississippi, mm-hmm. older lady, Facebook messaged me and was like, Your film was amazing. It touched me, blah, blah, blah. I had a daughter who was killed in a motel. And we have never, there has never been anyone caught, found, suspects, anything. She just had checked into this hotel and was murdered. She was found five days later. And so these very, you know, from a writing perspective, these like very uh, accidental research things of these people who are in that aspect of their grief of this, this plateau where they're stuck. And it was just really heartbreaking to hear all the, the accents of death and grief and all these, it's crazy, man. Mm -hmm. So it does touch like, what'd you say, what you're saying about cinema expanding what we do saying, I'm sorry for your loss. And uh, I know how you feel all those things that can't aren't always negative, Mm -hmm. aren't always not helpful, but that is something that film does is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. That was well said. That's, that's like, Oh, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do. Well, it's like, Cause You never, you can't do it if you were trying to, but yeah, you're like, absolutely. yeah, if it can expand on people sitting and listening rather than having to talk or, you know, there's a lot to be learned about life. I mean, we've been around a long time, mm-hmm. but I still like the humanity has so much to learn about how to communicate, yeah. how to listen. Like we're still learning that listening is important. We're still learning that maybe talking less is important, mm-hmm. you know, in our society. And filmmaking is something that can kind of kindly, gently land that plane to go, I think this is something worth doing. Mm. So
1: Yeah. Well, you have definitely achieved that. Um again, I know you have heard hundreds and thousands of positive things, but uh as someone who is in the middle of grief and is trying to do a similar immortalizing, uh I really, really respect it. Um and I'm so glad to get to talk to you. Like I said, I feel like we could probably talk for hours and hopefully we can talk for hours off being recorded for an audience. And all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I just think you like you, you achieved what you set out to do and like even everything beyond that. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah. So I know, I know Jordan would be proud and I know you've heard that before, but, um, it's just such a, such a good thing to have done. So Another Mm. quote is, um, I think Ryan Connolly said, Justin has given us a gift and I couldn't agree more, you know? Um, Mm. also I was, uh, (laughs) this might be a little cheesy for to something that I thought about, but, um, Lindsay register said, um, it doesn't apologize for showing the brutal nature of loving, of losing someone. And, um, Mm. I know we're wrapping kind of wrapping this up, but I wanted to leave, leave the audience with like this quote from the song Graceland by Paul Simon, one of the Mm. best songs ever, in my opinion. Um, but he says, uh, losing love is like a window in your heart. Everybody sees you're blown apart. Everybody sees the wind blow. And, um, I just think that's a perfect, you know, Mm. metaphor. There's a hole and it's empty, but like, because you've gotten to connect with all these people. I don't know, it's like a band-aid, I guess. I too am rambling. No,
0: I'm grateful for the hole. Yeah. A lot of people go, it's got to. you got to fill it with something. And you're like, "No, nah, I don't have to." Yeah. That's that's Jordan's hole. Yeah. And that's what's uh, fueled me. Mm-hmm. You know, anything good in life, anything bad in life can fuel you. If you can use, you know, your grandmother's death to fuel your filmmaking career, your mind, you know, to be a more empathetic filmmaker, to be a more empathetic person. Mm-hmm that's good fuel. And that's fuel you can't buy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's gotta be given to you through life. And that's something that Jordan's death gave me was maturity, probably more maturity than I had ever had, obviously. And, uh, I wasn't as empathetic as I should have been, could have been probably. And obviously that grows you up and teaches you. So he was a great teacher in his life and he's still teaching me in his death. So in some ways when people talk about a hole or it's, it's, it's our, or it's our it's in our nature to go and fill it. Mm-hmm. You no. Know? Or that it's bad to have holes and these are worthy holes, you know. The love I have, the miss I have for him is I'm grateful for. You know, the the love is why it hurts, mm-hmm. you know. So it doesn't hurt because I don't love him. Right. It hurts because I love him. So Right. Yeah. But I commend you on on making blueberries, man. Genuinely I wish you the best. I hope it's a good shoot and I hope it's really fulfilling for you and I hope things in the edit don't happen that shouldn't have happened so that you can tell your story
1: thanks man i'd love to you know send you the script and just keep you posted on the process and everything we film uh yeah man anytime doors open why that really does mean a lot so i'll definitely do that but yeah again thank you for coming on and sharing your experience i love having these kind of conversations and i'm glad we got to share this with an audience um everyone who's listening to this you should go check out The video version on our youtube channel you can see some stills from the film and behind the scenes content and stuff and then if you haven't watched it already go watch my brother jordan first thing you do i could not recommend it more i'll probably watch it again in the next few days (laughs) so um (laughs) yeah it is it is such a feat and um i just can't wait to i know you said in multiple interviews that this might be your only documentary um but i just can't wait to see the other narrative stuff you do you know i mean there's more we could have talked about. We could have talked about snowbirds and, um, medal of honor and that kind of stuff. And sorry, we didn't get to that. <laughs> well, that'll be another episode and we can no talk worries, about your man. narrative stuff. No worries. Yeah. I just, I can't wait to, uh, for people to hear this conversation, you know, and I'm excited to see what conversations this spurs, you know? So, um, thank you again for coming on it. It right truly on. means a lot for this little Mississippi boy and his little podcast. So I really do appreciate it.
0: No, man. It's awesome. <clears throat> We're all the same. We're all on the same road. You know, I was that. I was when s- social media was coming out, I was the guy hounding Ryan Conley. Right. I was the guy hounding other filmmakers I yeah. loved. So I'm right there with you, man. You're not below me. I'm not above you. You're not, you know, film student or not. We're all trying to do the same thing is to tell great stories. So I'm right there with you. And uh, let me know if you need anything. But I wish you the best, yeah, man.
1: Thank you. You too. And uh, thanks again. Yeah, everyone. Next episode will come out at Monday at 9 a.m. Thank you so much for listening.